Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your regular audio journal to accompany Fulham's fairy tale season. My name is Sammy James, and tonight we're going to be looking back at Tuesday night's exceptional victory over Sheffield United at the Cottage as the Blades were cut open time and again by Kearney, Mitro, and Co. Uh, and joining me with his razor sharp analysis tonight on the podcast is Jack Collins. How are you doing? Hello, listeners. What's going, mate? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. Thank you. Well, um, what a win last night, hey? Fantastic, eh? Well, you can't you can't ask for much more than that. Let's do some three-word reviews uh, from last night's game. What came in, mate? Um, I did like Adams painted a coconut with the addition of a Fulham coconut, which was um, something a little bit different, as was commented by Granny Lovkin. Jack and Loz said unbeatable, unassailable, unplayable. Frankie Taylor's I love Serbia. DGH with a bit of a changed one. He said Malone misses us, um, which I which I enjoyed. David Baker's Bish Bosh Bash and um, LB number 11 FFC with Belief Conquers All. Well, there was loads of good ones last night. Keep your three words reviews coming in after every game. We'll be posting another one after the Preston match. Uh, Just to say before we get into the analysis of Sheffield United that this season we are backed by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions. Head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Well, it was an unbelievable win uh, over Sheffield United, a 3-0 victory. Uh, and, And Jack, it was hugely convincing in every aspect. Yeah, I thought Fulham didn't start as fluidly as we have potentially against Wolves and Villa. Um, it was a little bit bumpy for, for the first period. And while Sheffield United did really get stuck in for the first 10 minutes or so, and it looked like it was going to be an even contest, when Fulham grabbed control of the game, there was no resting it away from them. And ultimately, when we play like we did in you know for 70 minutes of that game, you know, we we look unplayable and, and Sheffield United didn't even really do that much wrong as far as, you know, I'm concerned. They, you know, they kicked lumps occasionally in the first half out of Ojo and a little bit out of Mitrovic, but there wasn't really much else they could do. Like, they just couldn't get the ball. And, you know, it's very hard to win games if you haven't got any of the ball. And, you know, while Cardiff are doing their best to unjustify that assertion, it it does, you know, prove prove difficult to, to win games when when you can't actually get a foot on it. And and basically, it is, there's a there's an old phrase in football that said the biggest crime in the game is to give the ball to the other team, and Slavisa love must love that phrase. <laughs> well, I mean, um, you were right though that it wasn't actually the most fluid start from Fulham, and actually, uh, thirty minutes gone, Billy Sharp heads over from five yards. Now, Billy Sharp doesn't normally miss chances like that. And and if Sheffield United get their noses in front in a game like that last night where they were clearly there to be a physical presence and impose themselves on the game, we'd we'd have been in for a right uphill battle. Yeah, it was it was a funny one. The header, you know, was was free. He was trying to direct it back across goal, I think. But it you know, to, to give him some credit. But it wasn't it wasn't an easy chance by by any stretch of the imagination. Dennis did enough to you know, obviously he missed his header, but he did enough to put him off by all accounts. And, you know, yeah, you don't expect Billy Sharp to be missing chances from five yards. But in the greater context, you know, you, with the, the the form that Marcus Benelli was in last night, you know, you've got to hope that, you know, when those chances come, the keeper's going to be equal to them. And, yeah, if, if they'd got their noses in front, we would have probably seen a different game. But Fulham were patient. They were, you know, comfortable in possession. By that point, we'd grown into the game. And, I really do think that, you know, once we settled in, it looked like there could only be one team that won it. Uh, what was your thoughts on Sheffield United? They seemed quite 
keen to resort to niggly fouls and provocations to try and slow the games slow the game down. Actually, for me, it took quite a while for the ref to even show uh, yellow cards. Although he did show uh, four or five to the blades in the end, they obviously went with that game plan, a similar game plan to what Bristol City adopted as well, because it seems like that's the only way to stop Fulham at the moment. It does look that way, doesn't it? And, you know, it was reminiscent of Derby in the first half where they, you know, just kicked Tom Kearney because they couldn't get anywhere near him. Um, look, Ender Stevens is a young is a young left back and, he, you know, he's had a good season. But, you know, in the last couple of games, he's really started to get under the cosh, especially for the Blades fans. And he had another bit of a torrid time last night. And it reminded me a little bit of when we played Huddersfield at the Cottage last year. And their right back got absolutely torn to shreds by Aluko. And he was already on a booking after about 15 minutes. And Aluko just kept nutmegging him. And at one point, I think he nutmegged him three times in a row. And it was a little bit like that last night with Stevens. Couldn't put a tackle in because he got booked so early on for taking down Shea Ojo. And then with Ryan Fredericks and, and Ojo sort of bursting down that side time and time again, he almost was you know overwhelmed by the kind of, you know, just capacity of Fulham to, to keep overloading down one side. And, yeah, they, they fouled Fulham and yeah, they brought players down and it was niggly. And the, the only one that really you know annoyed me was actually Richard Stearman's kind of off the ball on Mitrovic because, you know, well, I mean, it, it backfired obviously quite quite spectacularly. But, you know, to try and that was obviously a tactic to try and wind up Mitrovic and try and try and get mm. him on his on his on his nerves. But, you know, ultimately Fulham, you know, just sort of passed their way through. It was it was one of those where like you can kick us if you want, but most of the time we're just going to pass our way through you. And, you know, you can't blame a team. I said at the time about Bristol City, you can't blame a team for trying something different to try and get on the back of Fulham when they're clearly an inferior unit. Um, but, you know, ultimately they could and maybe should have had a player sent off and it could have been much worse for them. Well, Jack, let's come on to the main man, Alexander Mitrovic. Um, a performance of the highest quality from the Serb last night. Two goals. Was unlucky not to get a hat-trick even in the first half. Uh, he missed a good chance to, towards the end of the 45. It, it was just a sublime performance all round the pitch. His hold-up play. Sheffield United defenders, for me, didn't know whether to uh, attack him, try and get the ball off him, but they knew he could turn him, outpace him. Uh, his passes, especially out to the right towards Shea Ojo in the first half, was was incredible. He, he didn't put a foot wrong for me the, the entire evening. For me, he feels like a Premier League striker playing in the Championship. Well, that's what Chris Wilder said at the end of the game in his post-match interview. He said that, you know, Mitrovic was a £15 million man playing in the Championship, which is ludicrous, which is, you know, to a point, fair enough. Um, I think that there's a touch of sour grapes there, but it's more than that. He just looks a class above and it's not, I don't even think, to do necessarily with his touch. It's to do with the fact that he knows how to use his body and work his body to hold off defenders and... You know, the the likes of Stearman and, and O'Connor couldn't get near him last night. And it really is sort of magnificent to watch when he's just backing in. He's letting the ball roll into him and he's backing in and the defender can't get anywhere near it. And he's just literally letting a dri- like a trickling ball roll into his feet, you know, 18 yards from goal. And, you know, there's no other player in this division, I would put it out there, that could do that. I don't think that his kind of, you know, o- overall game was, was unbelievable, but... It's that kind of ability to use his body, bring other people into play. And, and, and you know, he was, I suppose what we're, what we're saying here is that Mitrovic is what we all kind of hoped Chris Martin would do last year. And, you know, he did in parts and, and to a point, but it's so obvious the class in, you know, the golfing class between the two players. And it's so obvious how much better Mitrovic is than any centre-back that we've seen him come up against at this point. 
and 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 right now he just feels like it feels like there is no one in this division that could really stop him. Well, I mean, at the moment he's proven it against the championships finest defenders what's going to happen when he's going to face the poorer teams of the championship there's going to be no stopping him well you kind of hope so don't you you know that that's finished for that second goal last night is sublime it's not even you know that's it he's quite he's seen as quite a you know a flat track bully in a lot of places and he's seen as the kind of player that just scores you know within the six yard box and he's always there bustling and hustling about and wins headers and whatnot but that finish is absolutely world class. He, you know, he takes it on the volley, leaves the keeper rooted to the spot, disguises it so it doesn't look like he's going to shoot, and just tucks it into the corner. And it, I, I'm, I was lost for words at the time, and I remain kind of lost for words now. It, it was just one of the best goals I've ever seen live in terms of not obviously it wasn't a screamer like you know this day one year ago where Tom Kearney you know bent that bullet into the top corner. It wasn't anything like that. It was just sheer touch of class and to to see a player like that playing in Fulham colours and, and really you know putting his heart and soul on the team in a lower division and wanting to to prove himself is such a like a refreshing kind of you know uplift for us you know you look, look at the links of you know we were linked with Stefano Okaku who said I don't want to play in the championship that's all well and good but you look at Mitrovic now and you think you know, you come down to the championship, he's obviously going to prove his worth massively, score loads of goals. And he's, you know, if we go up, then there's a you know, high chance that Fulham are going to try and make that deal permanent. And if not, then he's absolutely gone and gone, right, I've shown you what I can do. You know, let me let me do it. But Newcastle forums are going mad. I mean, and, and rightly so, because it, he's a player that was a cult hero up there. In fact, um, I was with uh, my mate Naif last night and uh, he bumped into some guys who were just on the district line on the way to the game who were Newcastle fans who had come down from Newcastle. They weren't like London-based. They'd come down from Newcastle and their main motivation was to come see Mitrovic play. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't shock me that he's a cult figure. He's become a cult figure at Fulham. He's been here, what, all of five games? He's, you know, he obviously inspires that kind of, you know, devotion in players because he obviously puts his heart and soul on the line you know, time and time again, and he shows that kind of passion that fans love seeing. And it's not, you know, that's not a, a passion is the main thing. It's a, you know, it's the fact that he is actually up there trying his very hardest in a game that he could very, you know, he could come down to the championship and be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to go back to the Premier League next year. It doesn't really matter. But he doesn't. He comes down here and he, you know, puts his absolute life on the line for the for the club and, you know, chasing down tackles, making, you know, harrying in the final third. He was absolutely magnificent. And, Yes, Newcastle fans are rightly going mad. But when he left, it was a very much, a, and I remember speaking to, to Gallagate Shots about this at the time, and we did a little interview with him, that Mitrovic is a, a figure that divides opinion up there. And there are half the fans that think he's God's gift to Newcastle, and there are half the fans that think he's absolutely useless. So, you know, there, there is one thing people, you know, thinking that Rafa Benitez is, is the answer to all their prayers and all those kind of things, but... Mitrovic is showing that he's capable, yes, albeit at a level below, but, you know, he's scoring goals that you'd still score in the Premier League. You know, he's not, these aren't just, you know, chances. He's getting chance after chance after chance. He He's putting away chances at a very, very good rate. And it, it shows that when a striker like that has confidence and he's being managed by the kind of player, the kind of person like Jukanovic, who obviously rates him and obviously thinks so highly of him, that he, you know, is going to thrive. And ultimately, I, I think that that's the key now is is keeping Mitrovic thriving, keeping the team, you know, working around him. And if we can do that, I don't see how, you know, certain teams are going to stop us. Yes, there are there are still tricky fixtures left, and yes, I don't think that 
we're going to win 10 out of 10 of our, our remaining fixtures. But if we keep Mitrovic at, you know, firing at the rate he's firing right now, then then we've got a very good chance of of getting, you know, a good number of points out of those 10 fixtures. Well, unsurprisingly, Jack, uh, Mitrovic was voted man of the match by the uh, the Fulhamish uh, listeners and readers last night uh, with a with a score of 9.4, which I think maybe only Tim Ream has beaten with his performance uh, against Wolves. Um, there was some notable good scores for uh, Stephanie Hansen and also Marcus Bettinelli and team Tim Ream as well. But uh, the man that came closest and wasn't far behind, I think with 9.0, uh, was Tom Kearney. Now, it's two... Yeah unbelievable performances in a row for, for TC. He was instrumental at, at Derby uh, and quite clearly the best player on the pitch. Whilst, yes, Mitrovic will take the headlines last night, Tom Kearney was back to his absolute best. Are we starting to see some of that form from Tom that we saw very much this time last season? Yeah, I think we are. And, you know, he's starting to dictate games again, which is where he's so, you know, useful. And, we say so much about him playing in a in a number ten role and, and and all those kind of things, but actually, it's when he drops deeper and really starts to dictate the play that he becomes you know so essential to Fulham's kind of work rate and the way that he, you know, I said this on the radio yesterday morning, the way he smashes through the transitions uh, and he can take the ball from deep and you know drive into the opposition half, carries the team forward, and it's a massive massive advantage to Fulham's you know, way of way of playing and and their style. And I was looking at some of the some of the stats from Tom Kearney's performance. We spoke about on Monday about the fact that he won seventeen battles for possession in in that game, which was which was mad. But his stats last night were absolutely unbelievable. And if I you give me just two seconds to pull them up, um I, I saw them yesterday morning. Um, well, TC retweeted a few stats from, uh, of from his Lyle. own from from Lyle yeah, that's Thomas. What I, was, uh, I was looking for. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that this morning and it is incredible. And he just had such a, he was so influential. And I was also happy that he capped it off with a goal because actually, believe it or not, it's Tom's second goal of the season. And he's been injured for a lot. But even though the amount of times he's played, he'll have been a bit disappointed he's only chipped in with well one goal up until last night. So he's he's kind of got that monkey off his back now. And he's scored a lot of important goals for us at the end of last season. We're not in a shortage of, of goal scorers at the moment, especially from midfield and with Mitrovic firing so well. But for Tom to be back on the score sheet as well will only increase his confidence, which must already be pretty much sky high, uh, that that little bit further. Have you got those stats now, Jack? Yeah, I do. So if you look at if you look at Tom Kenny's stats from last night, he had 114 total passes, of which he had a 96.5% completion rate. But of those, 59 were in the opposition half. And of those 59 in the opposition half, a 94.9% completion rate, which means that he put 56... 57 maybe percent of of 59 passes in his opposition half in you know to to a, a player in his own team which is I mean no no defense can cope against uh, a key player like Tom Kearney making all but 3 of a lot of passes in in your half if he's having that much success rate stats show that you're always going to you're nearly always going to end up winning the game. Look, he's got so much quality and and I think that anyone who was there last night will tell you, you know, Alan McAnally waxing lyrical on Sky Sports news about how good Tom Kearney is. But more than that, like, you know, the just before the first goal was the the real moment of magic for me and and Kearney had the ball on kind of the edge of the opposition box and he sort of waited until the you know Sheffield United players drew out then played an inch perfect pass for Ryan Fredericks who slotted uh, slotted across for for Mitrovic to slam home 
And the thing is there that Kearney was so comfortable in possession. He didn't worry about them, you know, coming and pressuring him. He knew that if they stepped off, he could, you know, take a touch and, and curl one. And if they pressed him, then he was going to have the space to release someone else. And when you have that kind of nous and that kind of footballing you know brain that you have both options available to you and you know whichever way they go you're going to go the other you it's very very difficult to stop because he has the quality to play that pass or to shoot from there and yes he doesn't always score when he you know lets fly but that said he's got a decent rate he's got a decent strike rate if you step off Tom Kearney and give him the chance to curl one you know the, the chances are it's going to be a good effort um, yeah. and, and, and and you can see and you could see a few times Sheffield United getting really worried every time he kind of opened up his body and they just about managed to close him down before yeah. he did. There's it's certainly something that midfielders and defenders are, are are aware of. Yeah, of course. And obviously he now has that reputation as someone who can score a wonder goal. But you know, there's one thing being able to score a wonder goal, and there's another thing being able to score a wonder goal. And if they close you down, being able to change your mind in a split second, play an inch perfect ball into your right back who can slam across for your striker to score. And that's why Tom Kearney is so special and that's why he's so you know important in this Fulham team because he has that ability to change games in an instant because he can you know he can go either way. You know, he can he can either do it himself or he can release someone else to do it for him using the player that he's drawn out. And it makes him at this level nearly impossible to stop. Well, I'm I'm pleased for Tom as well because in the debate of who's the best player in the championship, he he's He's gone out the four, and, and we saw um, our mates um, at not, not the top 20. They put together um, their I, ultimate championship team the other day, and there weren't many Fulham players in either team. Um, but Tom Kearney doesn't make the cut in even, and, and really, uh, that, and, that, and I understand why, because this season he's not really featured for Fulham, and then when he has, he's been injured, and therefore his performances have been hampered. But I'm so happy to see him getting to that point that he was last season, because I genuinely think on his day, I think there are only one or two players who are better than him in this division, and most of those belong to Wolves. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if, if, if that's true. I don't know if there there are... On his day, I think he's probably the most unplayable player in the championship um, from a kind of midfield birth role. You know, Mitrovic is obviously a different kettle of fish. And, you know, but I think that, you know, the only players that are close to Kenny in that regard are obviously Neves and maybe Jack Grealish. And it does, I think, of the three on their day, Kenny's the one I'd least likely want, I'd least like to face if, if I was an opposition team because because of that ability to switch things up. Yes, Neves is a fantastic footballer and he, you know, he sits in that mid midfielder that for that Wolves team and dominates in, in, in certain regards, but mostly he just, you know, pings the ball about, spreads the play. Yes, he has a long shot on him, but it's you know, he's not one of those players that you go, Oh, okay, Neves is in, therefore we gotta chase him down every time he has the ball. Whereas you get Kenny the ball on the edge of the box and suddenly four players are rushing out to meet him. And I think that Here's, you know, there's there's a chat. I had a chat with the boys about this and they, you know, there was a talk of, I said, why is Kenny not in? They were like, look, he's he's been injured. He's not been, you know, fully fit. And it, I think they were doing it in kind of like a point scoring system, which isn't necessarily always where Tom Kearney thrives. You know, he, yes, he scored goals and made assists last year, but, you know, he's often the pass before the assist. He's often the, you know, the, the assist of the assist. And, and you saw that, mm. you saw that yesterday with the ball for Ryan Fredericks that opened them up. Yes, Fredericks will get the assist, but that goal is all Tom Kearney. Yeah. And I think that that kind of, you know, probably has an effect on his standing in those kind of rankings, if you will. Um, 
one crazy moment last night, which I, I thought I'd seen it all, to be honest, with football fan charts and, and being at the game and seeing what fans come up with, you know. We forgot that you were here and all that. I've heard that a million times. I have never seen opposition fans cheering the other team when they string some passes together, as as we did for Sheffield United in the second half. It, it, it was, I mean, you... you you wrote it on the Twitter, Jack. Uh, unbelievable scenes. I- I've never actually seen that. And-, and it was a testament to how much we were in control I- I- in that second half. And the Blades players were just waiting for the final whistle, praying uh, for those last 15 minutes to just disappear. Yeah, 100%. It was, it was a training exercise by that point. And the amount of keep ball that was played in Fulham's half. And there was a point where I think in about 12 minutes, the Blades had three touches. And, you know, that's not... You know, that's not a football match. That's not, you know, that's not... It, it was it, it was reminiscent at points of, of City against Arsenal and Chelsea in the way that they just sort of strolled through the game looking like a training exercise. And it, it didn't look like there was any sort of... By the end, didn't really look like there was any sort of drive or, or you know, the you know, fair play to Sheffield United. They worked really hard in a really, really tough, you know, evening for them. They worked really, really hard and... They kept their shape, and while Fulham were passing it around them, they didn't just, you know, it was just too good. If we're if we're perfectly honest, they just kept the ball so so well, and and Sheffield United were chasing shadows. And I'm I, I'm with you. It was it was like nothing I've ever seen before. But even when they started cheering them, the ball went up. You know, the ball went straight out the other end, and, and it went straight out for a throw. And it was like, well, now we've got it again. You're probably not going to see it again for another three four minutes. And and the way that Fulham kept the ball com- completely dictated, by the way, by Tom Kearney, who was at the heart of absolutely everything at that point, um, was, you know, some something spectacular. And I've I've never seen. We talked about the cottage carousel last year, and I tweeted this out as well. But it was lights, music, and 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 all all guns blazing last night in terms of how Fulham knocked the ball about. It was absolutely spectacular at times. That kind of 15-minute point where we were just knocking about at ease and, and as you say, Sheffield United must have touched it no more than a dozen times in 10-minute spells, for me was almost as enjoyable as, as the goals last night because that's what I like to see when I go to watch football. I was being purely entertained by how much we were in control of that game and how it, we were strangling Sheffield United they, they, we weren't letting them even come up for air in terms of possession and, and the second I, I know that overall the stats were about 65% possession to Fulham but that second half must have been closer to 80 it, it was it was like nothing I've ever seen yeah I mean it was they had a spell you know very briefly at the start of the second half and then once the third goal went in it was just shut down the, the entire thing was a complete shutdown and it was you know close to as perfect a performance as I've seen for a long, long time, especially in that second half. It, it, I kind of struggling for words, is, is, is if I'm honest, and this is me, I, I don't struggle for words. I, I, you know, I, I like the sound of my own voice quite a lot. Um, but it, it no. just can't, I can't kind of get to how good Fulham were at points. I would like to highlight one thing, which was the most the, I think the most there's two really underrated moments from all last night. One is the fact that before Fulham's third goal, we sat in and we absorbed pressure for three or four minutes and we just let them knock the ball about in front of us. And we just, they were like, anytime they came close, we drove them backwards and then we just let them knock it about. And it was Tim Ream then stepped out when he mm. saw the one break, took the tackle, won the ball, released Sess, off he went, off Steph Joe went, 
Lucas teed up Kenny and it was 3-0. And it was just the how impressive Fulham were in just sitting there and being like, it's fine, you can have it on the halfway line. If you get any closer, we're going to knock you back. But if you can have it there, that's fine. And and I was absolutely, you know, in awe of how solid Fulham looked at that point. It looked like, you know, they were like, right, it's fine, no problem. You can just knock it about there. And, you know, we're 2-0 up here. You're going to have to try something at some point. And when you do, we're going to punish you. Um, and the other yeah, that tackle from that tackle from Tim Ream was unbelievable. And you mentioned that uh, he released Cess, who then his pass to Stefan Johansson was was slightly wayward. Uh, Steph Joe was absolutely fuming, even like flung his arm at Cess mid pass. Yeah, he did. And then uh, and then didn't go over the celebration because he was knackered. Um, <laughs> and also was very unhappy about being taken off, but clearly just a precaution against. The, the yellow cards. I think that was quite reasonable. I am now very... Cons- I almost wanted him to be booked. That's the kind of level I'm at now. I wanted... I want Steph Joe for QPR. I, I'm, I'm... Surely you need him more for Preston. I don't know. I think that it's going to be a different game at Preston where we can spring traps and Ollie's okay at springing traps. What I, I want is Steph's blood and thunder against QPR. But... You know, it'd probably be fine. You know, he's, he's as someone said on, on, I think it was Jack said on Monday, you know, he's a mature professional who's captain of his national team. He should be able to refrain from getting yellow cards, which is a fair point. Well made. Um, um, before we come on to Preston, just a quick note about uh, the table from last night. There's not really uh, too much change. Both Villa uh, and Cardiff got wins, although Cardiff uh, was a little bit of a nervy finish with uh, Barnsley getting that late constellation, but they, they still held on for another win. I think that's five in a row now for, for Warnock and his boys. Villa uh, went up to Sunderland, and to be honest, it was always going to be quite a comfortable one for them up there with Sunderland the way they are. Derby, though, uh, only picked up a point, so we've gone two uh, above them. Bristol City lost to Preston. Uh, so now eight points inside the playoffs. We've been saying for a little while now we, we're all feeling quite comfortable but not resting on our laurels with regards to the playoff positions. But automatic promotion race still remains difficult. Cardiff and Villa uh, both got games in hand over us. It's going to actually be quite interesting next Tuesday whilst we don't have a game uh, to see what happens in those games in hand. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, we've said it for a while now and uh, I'm not going to be breaking any new ground by saying this, but we just got to keep doing our thing and if someone slips up, then we can take advantage and if they don't, then we have to try and carry this form into the playoffs and it's as simple as that. You know, we've got tough games coming up as well and but, you know, so do Cardiff. So, you know, there's a lot of fans on Twitter being like, oh, I can't see any of these teams troubling Fulham. It was Wolves fans saying that, to be honest. Uh, I can. I can see these teams troubling. I, I can see Preston giving us a good, good game on Saturday. Rangers will be well up for it. I can see Brentford coming here with one plan in mind, and that's to you know try and sneak into the old promotion you know promotion race themselves by by beating us. I don't think anything would taste sweeter to a Brentford fan. Um, and I, and we have to go to Millwall, which I Millwall I think behind us and Wolves are the form side in this division. Yeah, which I, is I, mad. I, I think I, I think Millwall fans believe they've got a real outside chance of the playoffs they think they're the real dark horses in this race and no one wants to go to the den at the moment and and uh, least of all us to get two two or three games before the end when we're trying to probably secure something whether that be playoffs or automatic promotion so you know you're totally right that uh, there's still difficult games remaining whilst we have played nearly all our games against the top well we have played now uh, all of the top seven 
Um, yeah. and, and, and once we've played Preston, then we'll have played all the top nine uh, once, once Saturday is out of the way. But as, as you mentioned, still tough games, couple of derby games as well, which is uh, real hard to predict. Uh, let's come on to that Preston game in a second. Uh, we're going to take a small break. She said, do you love me? I tell her only partly. I only love Tim Ream and Matt Target. I'm sorry. Um, Jack, that is potentially uh, the weirdest promo that... <laughs> I, 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 you were saying you were lost for words earlier. I'm lost for words now. What on earth was that? I've got to give a hat tip to Matthew Vitiello. It was his idea. He tweeted it after the weekend after the derby game. Um, and I've been thinking about it and I thought I'd you know, whip it into a whip it into a template and see what I could produce, and that's what I came up with. I mean, you know, that's going to be repeated forever. That will be probably the main jingle now for the next however long Fulhamish exists. I think it might go viral. I'm a vi- I'm actually my own viral alert. <laughs> I I hope for your sake it does. Uh, I can't tell whether I'm. I'm in awe or just offended by it. But, you know, either, that's either, the general either way state of play. I think that's the general state of play. Like, I think we are just genuinely a bit mad. All right, well, um, uh, let's look at Preston on, on Saturday. Uh, we're all heading up to the northwest. Uh, hopefully, Fulham can get another victory at, and take one step closer uh, to securing the playoffs and potentially that automatic promotion dream. It's the last game, Jack, of the big six. Now, we couldn't really have hoped that these um, games so far have, could could have gone any better. Uh, four wins, one draw against against Bristol City, which was a valiant draw given the circumstances as well. Can Fulham finish the job of this big six and get a win up at Deepdale? You hope so. Um, look, Fulham play the way that they can play and the way they played last night and the way they played in the first half at Derby, then there's absolutely no reason we can't beat Preston. That said, Preston are a good side themselves and they possess, you know, a huge amount of talent, even with the departure of Jordan Hugill to, to West Ham, who hasn't really featured, but has single-handedly done the best uh, joining a club promo that I've ever seen. Um, oh, Jesus, awful. I can't wait to run out here in front of all the bubbles. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's going to be a tough trip. You know, we, we spoke at length this year, last year, you know, any year, anyone that will have us, me and Ben, about Tom Barkhausen and how how we'd love to see him in a white shirt, um, and and also they they have Shawnee Maguire who's I think he's got four of th- uh, four goals in his last three games off the bench. He um, you know he really really does look sharp and and the former Cork City man is is still doing bits. We 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 highlighted him as a key threat when they came to the cottage and he scored, um, and then and and now he's doing bits again and and Preston are in you know not. A perfect run of form but a decent reign of form themselves and and you think that they will fancy you know Fulham coming up to Deepdale and they'll fancy their chances at a scalp and you know they're also still not out of the I'd say still not out of the race um, I'd, I'd say far from it and last night's win against Bristol uh, their tails will really be up I know that Preston fans have looked at these two games at home against teams above them as kind of a barometer for their season if they can get six points out of these games then I think for them they feel like the playoff race is on so the, the atmosphere is going to be going to be electric on Saturday and Fulham are going to have to cope with that yeah we are it's going to be not easy by any stretch of the imagination and you know, one, Preston, you know, there's obviously not any bad blood between Fulham and Preston, but, 
you know, we, we did the, I remember we did the a victory over them on their special day out last year where they all had those funny bowler hats. Um, oh, Gentry and, Day. Yeah, and they'll, you know, they'll be out for, they'll be out for revenge. And, and ultimately, they they need to win these kind of games if they're going to, you know, try and get promoted. And which is obviously, you know, their target and obviously the thing that they're sort of playing for. So, you know, they're going to go into this and be like, we've got to, we've got to play football and we've got to beat Fulham. The good news is that teams that have tried to play football against Fulham have genuinely fallen apart. And Preston aren't a big lumpet team. Um, yeah, they have a few big, big lumps. You know, that's not the same. But they tend to play the ball on the deck. They, you know, they tend to play football the right way. Uh, and those are the teams that Fulham have, you know, look at Wolves, for example, that Fulham have occasionally been able to pick off. And, and hopefully that will, will come to fruition again at the weekend. Well, you say that, though, but in their last game at the Cottage, they were very, very niggly indeed, trying to slow down the play uh, a lot. And I, I remember at the time we were all absolutely fuming uh, with the way that Preston went about their business. Uh, I think it was Daniel Johnson in particular who who riled many around me in the Hammersmith then. But thinking back to that game, and Preston were really on fire back then. I'd say it was one of the... It was in Fulham's real poor patch in that kind of October, November period. And Dennis Adoy uh, grabbed that equaliser late on. But um, we do actually have a fairly good record uh, against Preston in recent years. You mentioned the win on Gentry Day last year. We've also won our last two trips to Deepdale. Uh, one of them maybe not so surprising as we were quite good last season, but the season before when uh, McCormack and Dembele scored. And there's actually quite a bit of a shock victory for Fulham. So hopefully we can continue that. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in terms of time wasting. I meant more in terms of uh, they don't sort of lump the ball into the box. Was my yeah, yeah, of, I got that. Um, just in terms of playing the ball in the deck. But yeah, you know, of course, there were a lot of people very, very angry about Preston's time wasting tactics. And you know what? I think I recall at the time Leeds saying exactly the same. Leeds going, oh, Preston at it again. Um, and I think that, you know, it's interesting to, to note that that might, you know, be a thing that might come into play. And and we'll see how that affects Fulham. But ultimately, if we if we carry on in the vein of form that we've been in, you know, and especially if, you know, Slav probably will have small rotations, but I can't imagine wholesale changes coming through. Um, I, I think that there's, you know, not much, if not many teams that can do too much to stop us if we're playing the right way. And if we play, you know, like we know we can, then we will beat Preston. It's as simple as that. What changes do you potentially foresee on Saturday? I guess the the only berth in the side for me that pretty much isn't solidly filled and that I can predict uh, who will play there every week is centre-back with Dennis Adoy and Thomas Callas. Dennis kept his place last night after Callas got the injury uh, that kept him out of Saturday's game at Derby. And then right wing uh, still seems to be a place where Slav's rotating pretty much every game. Uh, he chose Ojo last night, who I thought got a bit of an unfair rap online and certainly in the stands. I thought his performance was pretty positive whilst not world-beating. Uh, but then Piazon came on in the second half and actually I thought looked really good and has potentially might have done enough to convince Jukanovic to give him a go from the start on Saturday. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought Ocho did really well last night. I, I really do. And I think he gets a massively unfair rap. And we had this conversation on, on Monday um, about what he does to justify his place. And I think that yesterday he was positive. He ran at players. Yes, he doesn't look like he's going to, you know, be the 
the the final key to unlock a door. But he he's always wide. He stretches the play. He you know he runs. He's good at finding threads on the overlap, uh, and he really does offer an option on that side. And I I think he's becoming more and more of a puzzle piece in the playoff picture. And I think that Slav will continue to use him in that rotation. Piazon did well when he came on last night, but I can't see him dropping Aite after Aite did really well on. Um, Preston, uh, on Saturday I think obviously he's been careful with Aite to manage his kind of fitness and that but I you know I, I think that he will go back to the system he played at Derby and I imagine unless Thomas Callas you know has performed unbelievably well in training this week that why would you drop a door he's you know he was fantastic last night and underrated moment of the evening when Dennis Adoy nearly squeezed through the middle and scored Oh my word! I th- I thought he was going to do it then. Yeah, also potentially a red card. I thought Jack O'Connor was last man, but um... yeah, I, I and also I, I was actually just a bit annoyed with that free kick, Panicati. But that, that, there was no wall. That there was no way that was a where the foul took place, and no way that wall was ten yards. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to be too sour grapes over it. Um, Jack, what what questions are coming in and on the post bag before we uh, round up this week's podcast? We've got a couple actually. We got a really bizarre question last night, and um, I don't mean that in a in a nasty way. It was just one that. Kind of took me a little bit by surprise um it was from james james short who said mm-hmm. he wants to give his thoughts on what caused kenny's knee problem because i know you thought it might be due to his knee slides but i reckon it's due to the way he walks he's always weak walking with his feet facing outwards which leads to a weaker base through the knees and wears them away no it's not as relevant right now while he's playing but just a thought i had while watching the game just wondering if you think his knee problem is an ongoing one and what might be the cause of it well, I mean, I couldn't speak for actually what has caused his uh, his knee injury. And, and and as much as I love Tom Kearney, I haven't studied him in enough detail uh, to work out the way he walks and which direction his feet point. So I will certainly, uh, I will certainly point to the uh, respectable um, man or woman that has uh, put that question question to us. But certainly, it is interesting. And I was wondering last night, how is his knee injury? doing because his performances have been so incredible in the last couple of games as as we've mentioned uh, not only on this podcast but also you guys on Monday's podcast is he being strapped up for every game is he getting injections painkilling injections to get him through or or has it magically disappeared I just can't believe it has he had to fly to Shanghai under two months ago and missed a, a a very large part of January because of this knee injury. So I, I, I am interested to know what the extent of Kearney's injury is. Is he being basically patched up before every single game and, and he's being thrown out there because his influence is just so key to the squad or has it magically disappeared? I, I would love to know, and but I guess we probably never will. Well, I can't see... I don't. He's obviously not got strapping on his knee. You'd be able to see it. Um, so I meant but, strapped up more metaphorically, but oh, yeah. Okay. I, I can't imagine... With Fulham's kind of record of of really sort of looking into players and, and really trying to look after their well-being, that Fulham would be injecting him with painkillers for every game. The only time I've ever seen Fulham do that was Bobby Zamora in the Europa League final, which is kind of a big deal. You know, and not, it's not a Tuesday night game against Sheffield United. And yes, Tom Kearney is playing well. And yes, that's no disrespect to Sheffield United. They are a good team. But Fulham you know, right now seem to be able to do a job, whatever happens. And and, and ultimately, yes, Kenny was magnificent last night. I'm not t- taken away from his performance at all, but I can't see why Fulham would do that. I don't see why they would, you know, risk the long-term health of their captain and not tell anyone about it. He looks like he's moving freely. He looks like he's, you know, 
back to kind of his kind of languid best. And he doesn't look to be in any particular pain. You know, he's gone down under a couple of big challenges and got back up again. You know, it, it, I can't see why Fulham would be keeping that under wraps if they, you know, if they did have, have he had an ongoing problem. I think that it might be a recurring problem, but I think right now it might be okay. I mean, I'm touching wood with pretty much every single facet of my body available right now. But he, I think he might be okay at the moment. And that's not to say that it won't come back again. But it's, uh, I think for the moment, he might be all right. Okay, I, I, and I hope that's the case as well. It just seems very convenient. And I don't mean to be all conspiracy theory here. I just feel like, oh, wow, suddenly he's just fit for the key six games of the season and his knee doesn't hurt anymore, even though he's been fly- he's picked up about 10,000 air miles this year um, trying, to, trying to get it fixed. So Get your tin hats on, Sammy's about. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, what's coming in next before I... Uh, Cause the next area 51. Yeah, uh, Ryan Higney came through with um, of the last night's amazing performance playing rings around a lackluster Sheffield United. Can you see us going the remainder of the season unbeaten? We only have to play teams below us, but uh, the big threats are Preston and Millwall who are on the rise. Also, comments on the shocking refereeing performance last night. Do you think the EFL needs to have a review of its referee standards? I mean, the refereeing's been poor ever since we came down this to, to this division. Clearly there isn't enough good refs about, otherwise I feel like they they would be refereeing at the second tier of professional English football. Um, last night's was, I just found him particularly niggly. It, it always annoys me when referees are really pernickety about what, even where a free kick by your own goal line takes place and you can and and you can always see that's a bad sign with with a referee he was just kind of picking up on everything and and also some of the linesmanship was also quite poor there was there was a few times where balls had clearly gone out for a throw and i mean clearly uh, and they and they weren't given but it seems to be a facet of the championship that that's that's what's that's what it's about now uh, what was the first part of the question before the refereeing can you see us going the remainder of the season unbeaten I can see it happening. I can't see us winning every game, but I can see us going unbeaten. I think we've passed so many of the obstacles that I thought would be the one to trip us up. I feel like logic dictates that you're probably going to lose one, but I can't see it being much more than one. And I do genuinely believe going unbeaten is possible. We've talked about Millwall being a tough game, and we also talked about the two derbies upcoming that are banana skins but this Fulham team is just playing so well it's a joy to watch us at the moment and I just want to be at every single game right now because this is this is a special time to be a Fulham fan we're missing out a um, a key game which is actually Norwich away I know we won last year that's not an easy place to go and it you know, is Norwich, this season it's not though as in Norwich are I mean, yeah they're not yeah admittedly not playing not having the season of their lives but also have done some damage to some big teams got a good draw there against Wolves beat Derby there I think a couple of weeks back you know it's not you know it's not an easy place to go Carrow Road and, and, and Norwich have some very very good players they, they, they do but given some of the teams that have come away especially from Carrow Road this season with either one or three points I don't it's not in my top two or three games I'm actually that worried about I mean I might be made to eat my words later down the line but I I I do take that on board that generally Norwich have a very good team and traditionally Carroll Road is a difficult place for us to go to and that run against Norwich has to come to an end one day. Yeah, it does in fairness. And we, we do like playing Norwich. That is the only the only facet. But you know what? We're breaking all the kind of taboos this season. So 
maybe that one as well. Yeah, we got a win at Derby, so something's got to change. Indeed, but it's it's one of those. Uh, just touching back on the referees' point, which I thought was a really interesting one. Last night's referee was bad, but I don't think he was that bad. Again, I've said this a couple of times recently. Bad without being biased. You know, sometimes you can tell when a ref has got one team's best interests in mind, and and it has mm. happened before. And I don't think that's me being like, oh, the refs are paid or anything. It's not. It's nothing like that. I think it's just the way that a ref reacts to certain reactions of players slash fans slash you know, whatever happens on the pitch. And I see that sometimes that a ref seems to then give decisions one way more often than the other. Last night, I didn't think he was, didn't think he was, you know, pushed one way or the other. I just thought he just was quite poor. And and that, you know, the little things, like you said, he was pernickety about certain things, but not about others in terms of like the wall not being 10 yards, but wouldn't let us take a free kick two metres in front of, you know, the our own goal when we were just going to pass it short anyway. I think we passed it backwards, to be honest. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where you're like, you know, I don't mind you being pernickety, but be consistent if you're going to be pernickety. And and it's it's kind of disappointing to watch, you know, that kind of refereeing in in a game that could really def- you know define the season for a lot of teams. And you know, all these six games have had the you know potential to be season defining for Fulham and for the teams they were playing. And for it to be affected in in that kind of way by a refereeing decision would have been really really a real shame. We spoke on. Monday about refereeing decisions not going you know our way especially you know the free kick that Derby got and it being okay when you come out of it with the right result but at some point that might change and if that does change and it's due to a refereeing decision we're going to look back at these and be like why didn't we pick up the signs earlier exactly but I feel like as you say the refereeing does seem to be consistently bad towards both teams rather than a bias one way or or the other yeah Um, this isn't Italy I still don't think it's as bad as that Bristol City game. I think that's one of the worst refereeing performances I've seen in in months. Yeah, it was poor. It was poor. And then, you know, there there have been consistently... In fact, the only game that I'd be like, the refereeing was excellent, was Wolves. Where the ref just let it flow, let the game... And it was a Premier League referee and you could just tell. You could just tell. You know, he let the game flow. he, He played the advantages correctly. You know, he didn't try and interfere with the game or make it about him. He just let it happen and and what we got was a fantastic game of football with both teams you know going hammer and tongs and you know credit to Wolves who didn't fans who who wouldn't you know didn't have anything to complain about in terms of the referee or anything like that but you know you find fans who will find fault with anything and you know we're we're no we're no exception we like to pick faults in things but you know they were they were there was no complaints about the referee from either side of that game and you know when you don't get complaints from a losing side you tend to find that you think that the referee's done a good job. Right, well, I think we need to wrap it up there for for today, Jack. Thank you for doing the pod with us today. More than welcome as ever, Sammy. We're finding our feet uh, with the with the new studio situation. Hopefully things will be back to normal uh, in the next week or so. We will be back on Monday. Should be me hosting uh, with the other Fulhamish boys looking back at Saturday's game at Deepdale. Jack and I are heading up independently, but we, we'll, we'll both be there. Indeed. Um, I can't remember. I haven't been to Preston before, so um, pub from pub's recommendations from me would be bad no just go uh, on to go onto our website when there's a, a document called dom's away day planner and on there are all the best pubs that you could go to in preston but i believe from our friends across the country that um that the preston pubs are particularly good and and people like their trips to lancashire so i do very much hope we all have a good day out 
I did read that it's it's about a 25 minute walk from the station to Deepdale and, and there's several pubs uh, along the way. So if you get there early enough, I mean, it's, it's, it's lined it. up for a pub crawl. Yeah, crawl it. That would be our recommendation. Crawl everything. That's the Fulhamish recommendation for uh, for Preston. Right, Jack, um, thank you for being on today's podcast. You're more than welcome, Sammy. Thank you for having me. Oh, what, what should we name it? Uh, I think in, in homage to, to Fulham's performance last night and to the uh, the great Dutch teams of the 80s and Barcelona of the 90s, just total football. Total football or total Fulham? In total football, I'm going with Oh, OK. I quite liked my suggestion of total football. I do okay, also quite so... like a suggestion, but it does take away from the kind of key point. Yeah. I'll get... I, I, I hear. I hear. It's your job as well. I, I don't want to interfere. Maybe total oh, football... Maybe total football, comma, Philly. No, no, no. I think we stick with, stick with your guts. Stick with your guts. Total, total football, football, that's the way to go. Yeah. All right. Well, we will be back on Monday, as ever, reviewing the Preston game. Uh, if you're going, have a safe trip, Itnov. If not, enjoy your weekends, and we'll see you then. See you later. Take care.